Good morning and welcome to Church on Main. We are so glad that you're here with us today. I have repeatedly said Merry Christmas Eve all day. So Happy New Year's Eve. Daniel's like, it's Christmas Eve by the liturgical calendar? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm an idiot. So Happy New Year's Eve. We're so glad that you're here with us. If it's your first time visiting, we would love for you to fill out a Connect card and let us know that you've been here um, so that we can contact you and get to know you further. If you are visiting as a usual regular attender, Welcome back home, and welcome to this space of worship. This morning, I would love to read to you this psalm found in Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, and give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And I will sing of your love and your justice to you, Lord. I will sing praise. Let's pray, Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this time. We thank you for the freedom and the opportunity that we have to enter this space once again. Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have to show up on a Sunday morning, Lord, to enter your courts with thanksgiving and with praise. And so this morning, as we enter into this time of worship, Lord, I pray that our hearts would become abandoned unto you, God. Lord, that we would set down every distraction, all that hinders us, the things that we're carrying that are full of weight and heaviness. Lord, that today we would set aside time to give you our full attention. Lord, may your spirit fill this place. May you fill each of us. God, may we tangibly hear your voice and feel your presence and be changed evermore. And Lord, as we pray this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Lord, I pray that we don't say it out of habit. Lord, that we don't say it out of ritual, God, but that every word that leaves our mouth, Lord, that it would be in true sincerity before you. So our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, you are good. And we thank you for bringing us to this place together to sing praises to your name, to meditate on lyrics that draw you close to us, that we know we're in your presence. For these words from hymns that teach us so much and and show us that you really do make us white as snow. So God, we thank you for the gifts that you give us of life and of love and of grace. We ask right now that you calm our hearts and minds and help us to focus on the message so that we can really start the new year the way you would have us go. Lord, we love you so much. We ask all these things in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning again. Welcome to the space of, and the time of worship. I'm excited to share with you this morning, and so it be they didn't kick me out just yet. 
but will today be the day? Who knows? So did anyone take this huge sigh of relief as a marathon of holiday celebrations came to a close? From Thanksgiving to Advent to Christmas Eve, and then finally the infamous Christmas Day. It was this exhale of perfect lights, beautifully wrapped gifts, miles of travel, the chaos of blending families together, tired and sugar-drunk children, the meltdowns, being overstimulated, the joy of giving so many gifts that were tied to this anxiety of, I really hope that they liked it. The hustle and the rush and the preparation of food, of a spotless home, of creative entertainment, and making sure that every moment was magical. Or maybe it was this exhale of loneliness, of grief or the loud noise of getting it all wrong and being exhausted and the overwhelming need to conceal it and present yourself as expected. Or maybe it was this inhale of perfection, right? And the busyness, and then this exhale of exhaustion and feeling dissatisfied. Because if we're honest, for most of us, this is the very foundation of everyday life, but especially during the holidays. It's often the inhale of consumerism, of busyness, the rush, the perfect home, the perfect gifts, the perfect meal, and the exhale of exhaustion often disappointment. When does the school year start again? I just need a minute. And then there's also this hope of a new year, new me mentality. It's this inhale of service, of giving, of expending oneself, and then this exhale of desire to feel more for wholeness, for restoration, connection, and rest. So today, as we step into scripture, we're going to find a woman that most of us can relate with. And we're going to learn from a woman that most of us probably hope to be in the future. And the story is found in Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered Martha, and he said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but there is need for only one thing. And Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus had just left Jerusalem and headed to the nearby village of Bethany where his friends lived, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The scripture does not tell us if Jesus showed up alone or if he brought disciples along with him, but from within scripture we do know that Jesus loved Mary, he loved Martha, and he loved their brother very much. He held a deep sense of affection for them. In fact, if you follow the accounts of Jesus and these three, you will find that the affection was so sincere. And you will witness the tender love that he had for them. In fact, some would argue that, Mary, that aside from Mary, the mother of Jesus, these two women were the most important people in Jesus' life, the two most important females. 
So we know that Jesus was important to them, and they were important to Jesus. And on this particular day, they had welcomed Jesus into their home. And at first glance, we have a Martha. She's the doer, the prepper, the hostess. And then we have Mary. She was present with her guests. She was sitting at the feet of our Lord, and she was just enjoying the company. Now here's the thing. There are two types of people in the world. The people who love to host and prepare spaces where people are fed and entertained and comfortable. And then there are dads, okay? And if you're a mom and you have a kid that's lucky enough, like a daughter maybe, an oldest daughter, who you can drag along with you to pull off the perfection of your hosting, then you've got it made. And really, I'm joking. I'm sure there are some dads and even some truly remarkable equal partnerships where you carry the load equally. But usually there's one person in the family who carries the load of hosting. And on this particular day, it was Martha. And at first glance, we have this invitation of what looks like you can either be a Mary or you can be a Martha. But as we examine the text more closely, we discover that this was never the invitation. Rather, it's the invitation to be both a Mary and a Martha. It's this invitation to live in the tension of both sitting and serving. Martha served while Mary sat. Martha used her gifts while Mary received from the giver of the gifts. Mary was busy and distracted by what seemed to have taken priority in her life, but Mary had created room for presence. I think we can all relate to this get-it-done mentality of Martha. We get so tied up in our to-do list, our goals, our agendas, and while our intentions are always good, they're not always what's right. We serve, we give, and we show up when others don't. We push ourselves to pure exhaustion, and our self-worth then becomes tied to how much we've achieved, how much we've earned, to our work, to the gifts that we possess, and we begin to lose sight of our identity that is only found in Christ. And often, this leaves us feeling anxious and worried. And what is our solution to that? Well, we just add more, of course. We continue to add more and more and more, because if we just have more, then everything is going to be fine. Everything will be better. My kids will be happier. My partner will be happier. My boss will be happier. Let's just add more. And by the time we've come to the end of the season, no one seems to be any happier than last year. Some of us are even more detached and depressed. We're left wondering, did I just waste another year of my life? Yet this seems to be the state of humanity in 2023. It has resulted in an increase in suicide, addiction, crippling mental health statistics, And it's what researchers are calling an epidemic of loneliness. In a time when we're supposed to be able to be connected better than ever. Seriously, one in four people in the world feel lonely. And no one seems to know how to fix that. So as we close out yet another season with reflection, what do we do? We begin to set goals of how to get it right next year. Quite literally, Christmas Day is when New Year's resolutions begin. And they peak on New Year's Eve. 
Here are some of the top results, resolutions made in 2023, 2022, and 2021. To lose weight, save and make more money, spend more time with my family and friends, reduce the stress of my job, and spend less time on social media. And I anticipate that those will be the same resolutions made in 2024. Because it's this constant quest for physical, mental, and spiritual wholeness. It's a deep desire and longing that exists within each of us. But we're too distracted by everything consuming our plate that we haven't left room for presence. There's no room for the awareness of God in our lives. And there's especially no room for intentional time to be present with him. So our thought patterns begin to look a lot like this. If I was thinner, stronger, faster, I'd be happier. If I could just figure out how to rid myself of this anger, of this depression, of this resentment, then I'd be happier. If I could just figure out what my hidden potential is, my calling, the point of my existence, then surely I'll be happier. And so we add more. We're distracted and then we become addicted to creating more distractions. We continue to be consumed by worry and anxiety and then we start posting on social media for validation, demanding, hey world, look at me. Look at all that I am doing. Look at all that I'm achieving. Look at all of my successes. Check out these perfect little idols of perfection. And all the while, we grow more resentful, more bitter. We just, we're justified, and yet still detached and lonely. It's this inhale of service, of giving, of expending oneself, and this exhale of desire to feel more for wholeness, for restoration, for connection, and for rest. Because when we take a few minutes to really consider this list and the root of what people truly desire for the new year, we'll discover that we're all the same, aren't we? We're all just trying to set good intentions that will help us create space for more of what our soul truly needs and desires. To take care of our temples, our bodies, so that we can be our best selves. To live modestly and without excess. To create more room for presence and connection. To create less room for comparison and jealousy. To create more room for rest. But it's always less and not more. Because we were created to do both things. We were created for work and we were created for rest. We were created to both serve and sit. God's original framework for mankind found in the book of Genesis was for us to work and to Sabbath. But how often have you cheated the Sabbath? How often do you find yourself distracted and pushing your time with the Lord to another time, or not at all? Do you even happen to know what a rested you looks like? Because the reality is, is we've moved so far from the place that God created us, and we call it our new norm. We're disconnected and we're lonely and we're tired and yet despite the fact that God gave us this framework of how to live, how to breathe, how to rest, how to abide, we spend more and more time trying to outrun the very thing our soul needs and that is to just be still. 
to abide, to sit at his feet again. Because we are held captive by this addiction to busyness. And we applaud it as what? Having a good work ethic. Our work, our service, it isn't bad. But when we detach our service from sitting, we are simply left trying to earn validation from those whom we serve, from our work, and from how much we've achieved. We are no longer glorifying the Lord, yet we are being glorified or trying to be glorified through our own works. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. Martha finds herself distracted by her many tasks. And can you imagine Martha is working? She is busy. She is tired and possibly even a little stressed. And she probably could have used some help in the kitchen. And we've all been there where we're like working, working, working. And you're like looking in and investigating the room. You're like, why do they just get to sit there and do nothing? Right? We've all been there. And so as she investigates the situation, she looks to find Mary. She finds her sitting and relaxing, enjoying the presence of Jesus, just listening and learning. And she gets a little frustrated. Frustrated enough to break into the room, destroy cultural appropriateness, and embarrass her sister in front of the guest. And here's the thing. Martha wasn't wrong for serving and preparing. And it wasn't that she didn't also desire to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. But scripture says she was distracted by everything else. Everything else was taking up so much space in her heart and in her mind that she didn't have any room left for what Mary had intentionally created space for. And that was presence. Mary had created room in this moment, and she had postured herself as a disciple before the Lord. But again, this story isn't an invitation of either or, is it? It's an invitation to be both, Mary and Martha. Because when we examine the passage of Scripture more closely, we find that there could be a deeper message to this story. A more literal word-for-word translation of the Scripture may sound like this. And she called, and she had a sister called Mary, who also that word also, having sat at the feet of the Lord, was listening to his word. And so this would imply that both women sat at the feet of Jesus equally, and both women served. But both were disciples. But in this instant, Martha found herself distracted by everything else, because she had intentionally created space for presence. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all of this work by myself? Jesus, look at me. I'm tired. I'm working. I'm serving. Do you not care that it's just me and she's just getting to sit there? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. Jesus didn't rebuke or correct either woman. He simply said, Mary, she's chosen the better part, and that's the main thing, and I'm not going to take that from her. Mary had created room for presence. She had created room for worship, for restoration, to abide and be at the feet of her Lord. Do you remember, perhaps, the first time that you fell in love with Jesus? I do. 
I remember that deep intimacy that existed between us. I remember the deep hunger that I had for his word. The way that scripture filled my soul. I have bookshelves lined with journals that recall the days that I found hope in the Lord. When life was dark, pages of finding deep intimacy with God, discovering my true identity through scripture. I remember feeling his presence so tangibly and longing I had to be just right there when nothing else mattered, just to sit and be postured at his feet. But you know what else I recall? I recall all the times in my life that I looked a lot like Mary. But I also remember all the times I looked a lot like Martha. But as Mary, I remember how my service to the Lord was like a fragrant offering and less like Rebecca. But I also see the times and the seasons of life where I've been completely distracted by absolutely everything else. And then I recall the beauty of the times when I've lived in the tension of both sitting and serving. The way that the Lord blessed, the way that my life bared fruit, the way that things were accomplished because of only him. Do you recall the moment you were raised from death to life? Do you recall the moments that you looked a lot like Mary? Do you recall the moments in life when you look a lot like Martha? And can you think of the times, those kairos moments, when you lived in the beautiful tension of both sitting and serving? Mary of Bethany is recorded three times in scripture in this posture of worship. This story, commonly known as Mary and Martha, and then again in John 11 after the death of her brother. She's sad, she's grieving, Jesus hasn't come, why hasn't he come? Why hasn't he done anything? And Jesus sends for Mary to come. Just Mary, come. Tell Mary to come. And as soon as Mary sees Jesus, she falls at his feet in worship. And she's weeping. And scripture says that Jesus was so moved by that. And then again in John 12, Mary is recorded pouring out a pint of expensive perfume. She's ridiculed. She's mocked. But she pours it anyway on his feet. And she wipes his feet with her hair. And there are many, many things that we can learn from the accounts of Mary within these passages of scripture. But the thing I want to highlight today is this. Mary's worship before the Lord tells us that she understood the cost and the reward of true discipleship. And trust me, I understand that the idea that we would have space for absolutely anything else than what we are already doing is impossible. That some of us may even say, Rebecca, you are so naive. You're 31. 
You don't have a family or a husband to tend to. You don't have a job that you have to work every day endlessly. I do, but it doesn't feel like a job. And I hear you. It's naive thinking at best. But may I remind you that true discipleship is costly. But the intimacy found is far more valuable than absolutely everything else. But intimacy with the Lord will cost you something. And the truth is, it's so costly that most of us cannot even fathom or imagine a life where our most prized possessions, the opinion of others, our toxic habits, those nasty relationships that hinder us, that we give them all up. We can't fathom that discipleship requires us to say no and to protect our connection with the Lord. We're not willing. Rather, we say yes to Jesus, and we become distracted by everything else. And we spend whole seasons of our life being nominal Christians, hoping for the day that we reach heaven. And here's the thing. Our culture is perfectly designed to pull you away from the heart of God. It's perfectly designed to keep you living a nominal life of Christianity. And that's why Paul writes in Romans 12, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship, not to conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's why in Luke 14, when the crowds are following Jesus, he turns around and gives three accounts to challenge them, to tell them the cost of true discipleship. And he ends it by speaking these words to the crowd. Those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be me salty again? It's neither fit for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown out. Jesus compares half-hearted, lukewarm faith to having something of absolute zero value. And that's tough. That's hard, right? But true discipleship costs us everything. It requires sacrifice. It requires looking like an absolute fool as you waste an entire jar of perfume. It looks like creating boundaries that irritate others just so that you can sit and lavishly be poured and invested in by Jesus. It looks like weeping in the presence of the Lord because the grief is so heavy. It's countercultural. In fact, it's so countercultural, it looks like a woman sitting at the feet of Jesus, being affirmed as a disciple in a century when women didn't even have a place. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and to die. It's costly because it costs a man his life, and it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. True discipleship requires us to create room for more presence and less of everything else. But true discipleship, we learn, 
is more than just sitting, isn't it? Martha teaches us that it's also about service. It's sitting and it's serving, but yet it's first being willing to create room for presence. But the cost always remains the same. Your life, everything. Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things. There's need of only one thing. And Mary, she's chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. Jesus affirms Mary as, her, as his disciple, as well as her choice to abide with him. He says the one thing is needed as his disciple. This kind of attentiveness to Jesus that glories in his presence, and in turn, a person who serves and bears eternal fruit. Listen, every day your plate will be full. Every day you will face the same demands of life. Every week, guess what? Your kids are still going to need to get from ball field to ball field to practice the friends' houses. Dinner preparations still have to be made. Every day will come with its own distractions. But every day we still must choose to make the right choice. The one thing is necessary every single day to daily sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. So raise your hand if you've ever participated in a team sport. Anyone? Yeah? If not, maybe you coached one? Yeah? Okay. Or you watch your kids play. In high school, I played softball. And let me tell you, I can still remember the painful week of tryouts. We refer to it as hell week where everyone who's out of shape, not quite conditioned for the sport, shows up to this field among lots of other girls who think they want to be a part of the team, only to be tortured for literal hours. I don't know how sports are today because I'm a millennial and that feels like forever ago when high school existed, but for like the first three days, the only thing coach would do is make us run hills do lunges, run bases, and then the last 30 minutes he would hammer softballs at us, and every ball you dropped, you ran a lap. And the next day at school, you absolutely knew what girls were trying out for that team, because you could barely walk down the hallway, and God forbid you had to go upstairs for a class, because you weren't going to make it in time. Because this coach would push everyone until he weeded out all of those people who just wanted to wear the jersey. Until the only people left showing up for tryouts that week were the people who really wanted to play the game. And by Thursday, those were the girls who showed up. And by Monday,
worship with us.
that you are here with us today. And I pray that as you leave this space, that you take it with you. The worship. God's spirit in this room today. It's been absolutely beautiful. And the invitation is that you would keep pressing into that. That you would keep pressing into God's presence in your private time. And the more that we press church, the more God moves. The more that we abide, the more tangible his presence gets. The more that we're willing to invest and create room for God's presence, the more lives are changed. That's when miracles happen. That's when brokenness is restored. You can't just show up in this space and expect that that's enough. The invitation is a personal invitation from Jesus every single day to be able to experience his power, his goodness, and his glory and his grace every single day. And so as you leave this space today, my prayer for you is that you leave knowing that your life is better when you create room for his presence. That when you serve out of a place of rest and Sabbath and presence, your life bears good fruit. And if today you don't know who Jesus is, look around this room, come up to the front. Somebody in here can tell you who Jesus is. There are plenty of faces in this room who I know for a fact they know who Jesus is. And so if you'd like to accept that invitation today, that is open to you. Now may you go in peace into a world of darkness as God's light.